Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, with author, pastor and Bible teacher, Mike Beaumont, who's talking to David Tavner. In this episode, which is also part of this section of the library of books, Mike, that you referred to as the wisdom literature, it's the book of Psalms, uh, all 150 of them, my goodness me. But I'm intrigued to know more about the Psalms and what the differences are and how we can read this book. So let's start with the, the obvious question. What is a Psalm? Well, a Psalm is a song of praise. The Hebrew word tehillim means song praise. So I think those two words tell us immediately what these psalms are. They're they're very much prayers and praise and songs directed towards God. Some will be praised, some prayers, some lament, some requests. But they were originally all designed to be sung rather than spoken. So this is, if you like, the Bible's hymn book. And it's been used as the Bible's hymn book throughout biblical times but also throughout church history. It's a rich source of material for helping us engage with God. And as you said, it's a long book, 150 Psalms. So it's not the sort of book that, like some of the others, you would really sit down and read all through at one go. It really is designed for reading a psalm at a time. A psalm a day is a great way of getting through this book, in fact. Now, Many of the books of the Bible that we've been looking at and will look at are attributed to particular individuals. What about the Psalms? The Psalms have a whole number of different writers. Some of them we're given the names of. In fact, most of them we're given the names of. They are not all written by David, which is what a common Christian misconception is, although he did write many of them. Um, We're told that he wrote at least 73 of them. But the rest of them are actually written over a period of almost about a thousand years. One of them dates back to the time of Moses himself. It says it was a psalm of Moses. That's Psalm 90. And the others go right back to the time of the exile and the return from exile, like Psalm 126. So you've got a whole number of authors over a vast array of time and and the wealth and riches of God's people over that huge period, many of them by David, but certainly not all. And what sort of subject matter do they cover? Life. (laughs) You're going to find pretty much everything here covered. So we'll often perhaps think of Psalms as being Psalms of praise to God. And indeed they are. And there are many of those that we will find in this section. Some of them are thanks rather than praise. The difference, well, praise is acknowledgement for who God is, thanks for what God has done for us. So there are psalms of praise, there are psalms of thanksgiving, there are psalms of lament. Now, that's not something we often do in our Western culture today, but a pouring out of the heart towards God in a time of trouble. Oh God, my heart is in anguish before me because of what has happened. And I love those Psalms because they're real encouragements to say, you know, all of our feelings and emotions in all of our circumstances, we can bring to God. So praise, thanksgiving, lament. There are some Psalms that celebrate God as king in particular. There are some Psalms that 
we can now see our messianic that start to look forward to Jesus. As Psalms like Psalm 2 and 22 and 110, the early church pretty quickly saw, wow, these may have been written for a historical setting in the past, but we can see so much of Jesus in them. And then perhaps a final category, I would say, a as psalms of repentance, psalms like 32 and 51, where the psalmist confesses his sin to God. And, and so there are some great patterns here of how we can bring these varying expressions and feelings, emotions and needs to God. And we can either use them as our own prayers or use them as models for how to pray the sort of thing that we can bring to God. You said some of them refer to the Messiah. So Jesus himself would have known all these psalms. Yes, absolutely. From an early age, Jesus would have learned not just the psalms, but in fact, the whole of what we now call the Old Testament would have been part of his education from the earliest of ages. And so he will use many of these scriptures both in his own ministry and the early church will certainly use many of these scriptures and many of these psalms to show how clearly the whole of the Old Testament, while it is written in history about historical events and historical people, there are moments when those psalms or books suddenly look forward to God's coming Messiah, whom we now know to be Jesus. Is there a good way to read the book of Psalms? Well, I, th I think there are some things that we need to remember when we come to Psalms. And I approach this with, I've got four Ps, so the preachers out there will, will, will like this. The first and most important thing to remember when we come to read the Psalms is that they are poetry. And it's really important to remember that because obviously as poetry, they are full of imagery, similars, metaphors, parallelism. So that means we can't take everything literally. People will sometimes say to me, do you take the Bible literally? Well, no, not always, because some of it's not meant to be taken literally. Some of it is picture. The parables of Jesus were not literal stories. But I do take it seriously, but each part of the Bible has to be read according to the literary genre, is the technical term, that the type of writing that it was. So poetry, we are meant to read as poetry and not to say this is literal. So when we read that the trees of the field will clap their hands. You know, we're not meant to think that when Messiah comes, trees will grow hands. It's clearly a picture. So my first P is always remember you're reading poetry, which is why in our English translations, the wording is set out as it is. Obviously, it doesn't rhyme like we are used to. That's because Hebrew poetry didn't use rhyming. It used other techniques like repeating ideas or bouncing ideas off one another or similar sounds and so on. But the fact it's set out the way it is in our English Bibles is a reminder that it's poetry. My second P is that uh, the Psalms are prayers. They are 
words offered from people to God, often in a historical context. Now, as such, how can I put this? They are words addressed to God rather than words from God. It is still in the Bible. It is still God's word for us. But that means that sometimes these Psalms will express feelings in a way that God himself will not feel. For example, we'll find some of the Psalms saying things like, Oh God, that you would rise up and smash the teeth of your enemies. Well, that doesn't sound very much like the Jesus we encounter in the New Testament, does it? And the answer is no, it doesn't. But just because the psalmist felt, oh God, I wish you'd smash their teeth, doesn't mean that's how God felt in that situation. But what it does, having these types of psalms includers, is an encouragement to us. Look, all your feelings you can bring to God. Get it all out there. doesn't matter. Just get it out. Tell God how you feel. Tell him I wish you'd smash their teeth, God. And then when you've got it all out, please shut up and listen to how God might feel about this situation. So remember, these are prayers from people to God rather than God speaking to us. So we've got poetry. We've got prayers. We've got praises. The very word for Psalms in Hebrew, tehelim, means praises, sung praises. So many of these Psalms are praises to God for who he is and what he's done and what he's like. So as such, the Psalms can be a rich source for helping us express worship to God. So it can be a real good go-to book. And, you know, I've said to people many times as a pastor over the years, you know, when you're going through a hard time and maybe you're finding it hard to find words to pray to God and to talk to him, well, turn to the Psalms, Psalm, flip through it, find a Psalm of praise and read it out loud because it will be received by God as a prayer from your own heart. So poetry, prayers, praises. And my fourth P is that some of the Psalms, not all, are prophetic. They do look forward to Messiah, to Jesus, to the age to come. In fact, in amazing detail at times, Psalm 22 are some of the words that Jesus himself spoke on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So here are words that were written hundreds of years earlier that were looking forward to words that Jesus himself would say. Psalm 110 is words that Jesus will pick up. In a debate with the Pharisees, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Why does David call him Lord if Messiah is also his ancestor? It was a bit of a trick question. Or Psalm 118, the stone that the builders have set in place will become the very stone that crushes them. So not all the prophetic, but somehow. So I think if you remember those four Ps, they're like four little, oh, here's another one, four pegs to hang your thoughts on as you're working through the Psalms. They're certainly always poetry, always. Some of them are prayers, but all of those prayers are words from us to God rather than the other way around. Some of them are praises that are really helpful to help us with our praises. And occasionally we'll find that they are prophetic 
and we'll look forward to, to Jesus or to that new age that he was going to bring. I guess my question maybe should have been, rather than how can we read the Psalms, how can we use the Psalms? Clearly for some church traditions, they're used in a regular basis, week by week in their Sunday services. A a psalm or a portion of a psalm will be part of the lectionary and the readings for those days. Other traditions don't do that and perhaps are the poorer for it at times, though it's great to see how many of the the great modern songs that are out there, many of which are broadcast on UCB, are often based on the Psalms because they lend themselves to being brought up to date. But I think, how can we use them ourselves? Well, I did say earlier, I think the most important thing is I wouldn't counsel just reading through the whole Psalms at at one go. Take at most a Psalm a day. In fact, when you come to the really long ones, like Psalm 119, even a section a day is good to use. And I think you can either use them by saying, okay, I want to praise Psalm to help me in my prayers today. I'm a bit short of words. Flip through and find one. Or steadily work through them one day at a time and let the Psalm shape your prayer time that day. And maybe that will mean that one day your prayer time is, is, is really full of praise and thanksgiving to God. On another day, it might be a psalm of lament. Well, maybe there's something that you want to lament about at the moment. Maybe you there's something you want to say to God. God, you know, this is a hard time that we are going through in life, and yet I know that you are with me. So I think they're, they're a really functional part of Scripture that, that we can use on a daily basis. It's really helpful to appreciate that they were, many of them, written to be sung. And are there many, therefore, kind of musical references and clues to help us understand that that was why they exist? Yes, there are actually, some of which aren't always in some of the newer translations of the Bible. But we you'll find in some of the versions, certainly that the versions are a little bit more literal in their uh, translation, Uh, that there are a whole number of terms to do with how a a psalm should be sung or what type of psalm it was. Uh, I mean, for example, you'll you'll find psalm such and such a thing, a miktam or a shigayon or a maskil. Now, the honest truth is we don't know exactly what the difference was, but clearly the people of the time would have done, but they're different categories of psalms probably meant to be sung in a different style, a different way, a different rhythm, a different feel, a different beat. There's one phrase that we find often in the psalms, and again, this doesn't appear in some of the newer translations, but it's the word silah, S-E-L-A-H. And you'll find that the the psalm goes on for a while and and then suddenly we get this silah. For example, Psalm 24 here, great one. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false, he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, 
who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Selah. And it's often put in italics in our English Bibles at the margin. What does it mean? I see you're about to ask me. Indeed. Answer. We have absolutely no idea. There are all sorts of suggestions. Clearly, it's one of these sort of musical or annotations or for the choir that may have sung it. But the honest truth is we don't know. It is some sort of interlude marker. And one of the best suggestions that I've ever come across for it is that perhaps if we were to take it as meaning something like, just think about that. Before you rush on, just think about that. And who knows, there may have been some sort of musical interlude while some of the many instruments that were used in temple worship, you know, there there were stringed instruments and horns and pipes and drums. And maybe the musicians at that point would just have played something while you had an opportunity to think. I You know, we have a similar thing uh, in many of our churches today, don't we, where we've sung a a song and and then maybe the lead guitarist or the pianist would just play quietly for a few moments and and just giving you those few moments to reflect on what you've sung. Because, you know, the danger in reading the Bible is that we read it and then rush on to the next bit. So uh, I think Selah probably was some sort of, direction to the musicians or the choir or the worshippers to say, just hang on a minute before you rush on, think about that. I was going to say, it's easy to sing things and not appreciate the significance of the meaning. Yeah, absolutely. And I think all of us probably have had times when songs have just roamed around our heads and we live in a culture where music is such a part of it and music is always in the background or on in the car or at our place of work or in our homes that it is actually just easy to sing a song almost by rote, a bit in the same way that it's easy to say the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And you've just not taken time to think about it. And both for these Psalms and frankly, for the brilliant amount of music that is available of all styles and tastes today, to make sure we take time to actually think about what we are singing, because otherwise we are in danger of doing what many of the prophets would challenge Israel with, and that is just empty worship with all the outward show but no content to it. So personally, I I love that little selah there in the margins, and whenever I come to it, I I do just, just stop and think about what you've read. Let that sink in before you go on to the next section and the next Selah. You've also reminded me that these were sung corporately. There were choirs as well. This isn't just solo singing. Yes, very much so. And of course, remember, many of these were written over many years. So Moses to exile, you know, a thousand years or so. So they would have been used in very different settings. But many of the Psalms, uh, written by David or those written after him, would have been used in corporate worship at the temple. And it seems that, well, we know that David, for example, appointed both musicians and singers 
to help with the worship in the temple. So while the priests would have been responsible for the sacrifices, David knew that there was much more to worship and meeting with God together than just going to make your sacrifice. This was about coming together and the dynamic of that corporate experience of lifting our hearts in praise and worship to God. So these choirs would have, I don't think necessarily performed, but certainly led the singing. And in some of the Psalms, in fact, some of the Psalms are what we would call responsive. So it looks like the choir would have sung the first part and the people would have responded. One of the really good ones is a psalm that goes through the history of Israel in effect and the responses for his love endures forever. But it would have been sung for his love endures forever or whatever the tune would have been at that particular time. Just imagine singing that again and again and again, antiphonal singing backwards and forwards. Mm. Now, somehow, somewhere, all of these psalms came together into the book of Psalms. Is there any kind of logic to it, any structure to it? I mean, and, and, and how did that happen? Yes. Well, at some point, all of these psalms were gathered together. It probably happened over a period of history. They are gathered together actually within the book itself into five books. So at certain points, you'll see... For example, just if I turn quickly to Psalm 1 in my Bible and open it up, and there it says, Book 1, Psalms 1 to 41. Book 2 is 42 to 72. Book 3, 73 to 89. Book 4 is 90 to 106. 5 is 107 to the very last Psalm, 150. And there is some sort of broad categorizing and it looks as if at some point some editors tried to gather these psalms together though i wouldn't pretend the categories are watertight by any means but book one has an awful lot of psalms that are mainly by king david reflecting his experiences of god book two psalm 42 to 72 are mainly psalms written there not by david but by this group of people called the descendants of Korah and Asaph. David has some as well. And these are psalms that call on God's people to trust him, particularly in the face of difficulty and distress. Book three, Psalms 73 to 89, are psalms written mainly by Asaph and the sons of Korah. Again, psalms written in hard times and for hard times. Book four, Psalms 90 to 106, are actually um, mostly anonymous, but all of them are reminding Israel of God's sovereignty and how he has dealt with them through their history. And then finally, book five, Psalms 107 to 150, are psalms of praise and thanksgiving and calls to trust God. Now, having said that there are those five sections, if you like, of the Psalms that these editors have pulled together, there's still an awful lot of overlap. So even in the prayers that are going through hard times, there'll be bits of praise to God. So they're broad sections rather than watertight categories. Now, if I don't have a very good singing voice, can I sort of meditate on the Psalms? 
Yeah, I, I think that's an incredible way to be able to do it. One of the ways that I would read Psalms sometimes, for example, and I do try to read it in different ways. So sometimes I'll just read a Psalm through. Sometimes I will read it through until like one verse just grabs me, gets me. There's something about it and I'll stop and just look at it and reflect on it, as you put it, meditate on it. What's meditation? It's chewing it over. It's looking at the verse, maybe like soaking in each word, maybe reading the verse, but reading it in a way that emphasizes different words each time. So here I've still got my psalm open and at Psalm 1, verse 3, my eyes fallen on. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. This is the person who trusts in God. He's like a tree. A tree with roots going down, I'm thinking. Branches reaching up to the heavens. Yeah, designed for fruitfulness. Strong, not going to be blown over by the wind. He's like a tree planted. Oh, God. I, Lord, plant me. Make me strong. Make me firm. He's, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. Oh, God, today I need the streams of water that the Holy Spirit brings. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit. Oh God, today, God, that today I might bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, that I might bear fruit for you. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit in season. God, I, whatever season I'm in in life at the moment, help me to bear the right fruit for that season. So sometimes I find that helpful just stopping on one verse that grabs me and letting each word uh, come out, chewing it over, praying that God would help me to be that, letting my imagination in the Holy Spirit work about that. And do you know what? Sometimes I'll even sing a psalm out. Now, you said you confess there to the whole world here, David, <laughs> that you've not got a brilliant singing voice. Do you know what? You don't need a brilliant singing voice because one of the best verses in the Psalms is make a joyful noise to the <laughs> Lord. It doesn't say make a joyful and tuneful noise to the Lord. And so you can make a joyful noise to the Lord, whether you've got a good voice or not. And do you know what? One of the really exciting things to do with Psalms sometimes is to sing one to your own tune. <laughs> make and it up. Yeah, make it up. Don't spend ages sort of thinking, oh, you know, what's this? We're not asking you to be a, a you know, a, a modern songwriter. Just let a song rise out from your heart. And, and it might just be around one or two notes. It might be, oh, Lord, I bless you and praise you for your faithfulness. For you, Lord, are good to me. And just let a song come out because something happens when we sing. I mean, everybody acknowledges today that singing is good for you. Um, and you know what? Singing God's word is good for you as well. It does something good to you. So sometimes read a whole psalm, sometimes meditate on a verse or two, sometimes sing it out. Use an incredible amount of variety because these psalms are there to help us and to do us good. I've got to ask you, do you have a favourite psalm? Do you know what? I, I don't know if I do have one favourite psalm in particular because 
there are bits of so many of them that are rich and that I go back to again and again. But I suppose if you really, really pinned me down and said, come on, no, (laughs) you know, you've got to have your one psalm to take with you to your desert island, then I think I'd probably go for Psalm 51, which is David's prayer of confession after his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. That's how the psalm is headed, by the way. And he calls out to God, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. It's a psalm which takes us to God, which calls out to God, which believes that God can cleanse us in our deepest parts, no matter what we have done. It's a psalm that says, create me a new heart, O God. Don't take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And Lord, when you've done that, I'll praise you with a willing heart. So that would be one of my favorites that I think I would go back to. Why? Probably because I've had to use it again and again and again and again. But to know the reassurance that this was a psalm that found its way into the word of God by a man who loved God, but who had a bad, bad slip in his life when he committed adultery Bathsheba and who yet found that that God he loved was gracious and compassionate, always ready to forgive our sin, whatever it is, when we simply come to him and confess. So Psalm 51 would probably be my desert island disc psalm that I would take with me. It sounds to me as if you're reading through the Bible, you don't want to skip over the Psalms. Absolutely not. But, you know, one really good way of doing it is perhaps to intersperse Psalms with reading other parts of the Bible. Or I've known many people who've read a Psalm a day and another part of the Bible. So maybe you're working through one of the other books, read a Psalm as well. But absolutely not. This is an indispensable requirement for being a well-rounded Christian, I would say, because there's just so much there that is so rich. And the best way to discover that is to get into it, start reading it for yourself and discover some of the incredible expressions of praise and thanksgiving and repentance and lament and trusting God that there is there. Because these are Psalms that have taken not just its writers through tough times, but generations of God's people. And they can still do the same today. Mike Bowman has been talking to David Tavener. Listen to more episodes anytime. Bible books in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, book by book, from Genesis to Revelation. This is a United Christian Broadcasters production. For more about UCB, check out the website at ucb.co.uk.